I want you to turn to John 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 4. John chapter 4 and verse 4. The Bible says, now he had to go through Samaria. And basically what's happening in the context, Jesus is going from Jerusalem up to the northern region where he spent most of his time and did most of his public ministry in an area called Galilee in northern Israel. To get there, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which would be noon uh, by Jewish time. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You know, we live in a world of seeking people. We live in a world where people are seeking fulfillment, purpose, and happiness. It's true of all of us. We seek it in careers. We seek it in relationships. We seek it in a boyfriend, a girlfriend. We seek it in a mate or in a better mate. We seek it in a paycheck or a bigger paycheck. We seek it in a healthy and fit body. We seek it in children. That's a mistake. We seek it in a job or a new job. We seek it in appearance. We seek it in intelligence. We seek it in an acquisition, a first home, a bigger home, a starter home, a new car, a nicer car, a bigger car, a more expensive car, and vacations and better vacations and new experiences and planning for retirement and the good life and relief from the pain of life that is this for many so ever present and the pain of unfulfilled hopes and dreams. Some seek fulfillment and resignation. They just, you know what? I'm just going to deal with it. <laughs> Billions are spent in America seeking promises of a fuller, more robust experience that can never satisfy. Enough is never enough. In, the 19, in 1969, a lady named Peggy Lee recorded a song about her frustration with life. Some of you that are older than me Maybe remember the name of the song. It's not a Beatles title, okay? The song was called, Is That All There Is? Is That All There Is? Went and listened to that song on YouTube recently. In the song, she retells of her experience and frustration in life as she deals with the ever-present realities of a fallen world. She talks about the pains of life that she has experienced, as losses and disappointments. And in the, in the middle of the song is the most poignant moment because in the middle of the song, she talks about contemplating ending it all. Now, if you've talked with people that are being honest, you will realize that there are more people around you who have had that thought than you would like to know. But here's what she said. I, I thought about ending it all, but I couldn't deal with that final disappointment. And I think there's something in what she's saying that resonates with the hearts of many people. I would argue that her longing and ours is for life to the fullest. We long for contentment, for purpose, for fulfillment, for happiness. We all do. 
You seek in ways that you are not even aware of, posturing and purchasing and all the various things that happen in our lives, looking for that elusive satisfaction. Belonging is common. It is essential to our humanity as created by God. We were created to find fulfillment, however, in a relationship with him. But in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our selfishness that we all wrestle with, we try to find it in so many ways. And sadly, this seeking is so strong that its pursuit often leaves us broken, shattered, and often enslaved. That's the world that you and I live in. Last night, as I was driving home from my parents' house, I saw a Mohegan Sun billboard on Route 476, and I was going 64 miles an hour, okay? <laughs> um, here's what the billboard said, Mohegan Sun, and the background of it is slot machines and gaming, all that kind of stuff. And, and here's what the sign said. It said, full of life. I thought of this text because Jesus offers to this woman full life. And I was amazed that even in a, in a gaming environment where there is, seriously, I've been to casinos a couple of times, not to participate passing through. One time recently on a cruise ship and one time in Atlantic City, honestly, simple curiosity, okay? I, I said, I just want to go see what it's like. It took my wife because I am the corrupting influence in her life. <laughs> And we walked out. Here's what my wife said. No clocks, no windows, no smiles. Full of life. Folks, do you realize that there are many people who are literally dying and think they're full of life? In the pursuit, in the addiction, in the thing that enslaves, in the thing that captures, in the desire, the longing for something. It will finally cause life to have purpose. And we don't realize that we were created for something so much better than temporary fleeting pleasures. We were created for living water, not for water that after you drink it, you got to go back again and again and again. In John 4, Jesus encounters a person who is not unlike us. In fact, I would argue that this woman in this story is just like us in ways that most of us don't even want to admit. I ask this question, why is this story about this woman recorded? Why is it taking up space in divine literature? What's its purpose? And I think the aim of this text at one level is to show us something about ourselves. But I think this story is much more inclined to tell me something about God himself. Who moves through the words of this story in a very powerful way. So instead of calling this the story of the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well, which is how it is so popularly known, I want to suggest to you that this is the story of a seeking God. And that Jesus, in, in, being God himself, according to John chapter 1, God embodied, God in the midst, Emmanuel as we sung, God with us. That this is a story about God moving into the life of that, someone that you would probably not want to move into the life of. Because he's more gracious than you and I are. He's more loving. He's kinder. He's less judgmental in many ways. Because he can offer hope. So I want you to follow me through this story. Making observations about God. A story about a seeker, a woman with very deep and desperate needs who has filled her life with destructive choices trying to find happiness. It's clear. 
numerous relationships. And then on this day, she has an encounter with an individual who will bring transformation into her life, who will change everything she has sought for and longed for in a very simple conversation. So this morning, what do we learn about God as we watch God in flesh in Christ moving into this woman's life? First of all, I think it is this. It is God graciously moving in to our lives. You see, one thing becomes very clear from this text, and it really is the note that sounds off in verse 4. As he's making this journey from the region of Jerusalem to Galilee, he needs to, he must, and the Greek has a very distinct word of necessity, it is necessary for him to pass through an area called Samaria, which was an area of People that, for lack of a better way to say it, and in our culture, I, I think of this, everything you feel like you have to qualify. Okay, it, it was a culture where people were mixed in, in their, in their uh, what's the word I want, in their, in their uh, background, but what's the kind of background? Ethnicity, okay. I'm like, I'm afraid of those words, and I'm like, okay. There's a mixed kind of ethnicity that's there, and in, in, in that culture, the true Jews didn't have time for Samaritans. They were to be avoided. So sometimes people would even take the longer journey going from Jerusalem up to Galilee. They would literally go down towards Jericho, cross the River Jordan, up the uh, east side of the Jordan River, and then cross over the river again to get back to the Sea of Galilee. That's how much they wanted to avoid it. This text tells us that it was necessary for Jesus to pass through an area called Samaria. Now, what is it? It is... It is an indication of divine sovereignty, of a divine appointment. God has decided in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to move into the life of someone who doesn't have room for God. She has room for religion. She'll talk temple versus temple. But she doesn't want to talk about her own life. So there is this divine necessity, a divine appointment. He had to go through Samaria, and the necessity is not driven by the geography. It wasn't necessarily the best route, nor was it the worst route. It just, it was a divine necessity. And so notice the specifics of the account. It says in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria to what town? Sychar, a specific town, a place that many Jews would avoid. It was about the sixth hour. There's a specific time of his arrival. It is Jacob's well, a specific place. All these things are laid out. He is resting conspicuously upon the well, waiting for a specific person to come at a specific time. And in that setting, a specific woman who is a Samaritan woman, who interestingly is unnamed in the account, arrives at the well. Interesting, she comes at noon. And that's curious, in ancient culture, especially in an arid context, in an arid climate, most people would do their work early in the morning or later in the evening. And it sparks a question, text doesn't say, but perhaps because of the shame that this woman felt because of her lifestyle and reputation in the community that she would best be suited to go to the well when no one else is there. And that was the norm. But in this day, someone is there sitting upon the well for a divine purpose and for a divine appointment. And it could be avoided. She's come with her pot. She's come for water. He's sitting on the well. What's she going to do? So they engaged in a conversation. They had an appointment that was designed by God. Folks, I don't know if you understand this, but as you read through Scripture, you learn something about God. There are often times that God had to. 
that there was a divine necessity in the move of God towards humanity, a specific purpose in that move towards humanity that God is engaging in. Do you understand this morning, can I ask you to think about this, how sovereign God is in directing the affairs of your life? I think Lauren helped us to understand that today, how God sovereignly works and directs in bringing us to places we would never go on our own to accomplish things that we could never do in our own effort. He had an appointment and he aimed to keep it by divine necessity and for a divine sovereign purpose. This is Jesus. The gospel of Mark says that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And what is Jesus doing this day? He is seeking a woman who is utterly and completely broken by the experiences of her life. And he's seeking to bring into this broken, empty, unfulfilled life hope. Can I suggest to you this morning that it is no mistake that you are here? That God who is moving thousands of things in the world that you and I live in is sovereign in control of the fact that you are available today to be here. Because there's something he wants to say to you, something he wants to say to me. As I studied this text, I said, God, show me who I am. Show me who you are. Because I have a tendency to run off the tracks looking for satisfaction and fulfillment in areas that I should not seek it. I have that tendency, as we sing, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And Jesus comes to say to this woman, I can satisfy. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself this morning. God graciously seeking. The question is, what kind of people does God graciously seek? What kind of people does he want to relate to? This text tells us about a God who graciously relates. I want you to notice in verse 7. Because the woman is awkward probably and Jesus initiates. Verse 7 His disciples is going to buy food. So here's what we know. Jesus is alone at the well at a specific time, in a specific town, in a specific land to meet a specific person. And when she gets there, what does he do? And I love this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And she is stunned. Now, most of us would think, in our culture, because we don't today have these racial barriers. Now, if you go in the South, you understand that there was a time when there was a water fountain for the white people and there was a water fountain for the black people. And they were marked that way. If you grew up in that era, you understand this text. Jesus is smashing through the protocol and drinking at the fountain that says the other people. And when he reaches out to this woman, there are, there are in her mind three reasons why she should not be related to. Why she, no one would want to seek a relationship with her, especially someone who is Jewish. And so I want you to notice what, what she says. The Samaritan woman said to him, and there's, I'd love to get tone here. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? We have no dealings with each other. And someone's like, duh. That, that wasn't like a news flash for Jesus. He was like, I had no idea. No, he, he was intentionally destroying the barriers that were present and seeking with this woman a relationship. So there's three gaps here. And you'll notice the text says she was a Samaritan woman. 
unnamed. It doesn't say she was a woman. It doesn't say she was a Samaritan. It says she was a Samaritan woman. She is twice designated in ways that would create a gap from, from her and Jesus. Their first one is the gender gap. Unfortunate but true in the ancient world and often in many places in our world today, there is a devaluing of women. Jesus destroys that tendency to devalue people because of gender. He utterly rips it apart. The disciples get it. Verse 27, when they come back after this, after they go into town, by the way, to buy groceries from who? Samaritans. Because Jesus made them go buy groceries from the Samaritans. So why? So they would learn that there is no distinction with God amongst people. Just then, verse 27 says, this is after the account, Jesus has encountered her. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Why would they be surprised? Because it was not customary. It wasn't the norm. He was being rude. He was acting in an inappropriate way. He wasn't honoring customary protocols. But that's Jesus as you read through scripture. You know what the largest accusation is against Jesus in the Bible? Amongst the religious establishment? He's a friend of sinners. That's meant to be a put down. Jesus says, that's not a put down. That's my purpose. That's my mission to seek and to save that which is lost. He doesn't see gender gaps. They don't exist. Also, she's a Samaritan. There's a racial gap here. And to her, it's just fascinating how she says this. You ask me for a drink. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. You could literally translate this. We don't share drinking vessels. You're the white and we're the colored. We don't, we don't share. What did Jesus ask you for? Would you get water with your pitcher and let me drink from it? That was a shocking, and it's hard for us to grasp how much of attention that would be. Yesterday I was with a friend of mine and I finished my Coke. We were eating lunch together. My Coca-Cola, okay? Just for clarity, okay? We all have our temptations, okay? So he said, well, mine's only half full. You can finish it. I'm like, I don't share, man. (laughs) I don't do that, okay? I'm just there. He's a dear friend of mine. I trust everything about his life. I was like, I don't go there. Jesus is crossing multiple barriers here. Gender barriers, racial barriers, protocol, everything. To say something about himself to this woman. That's what's going on. He's a glorious savior. Why are you asking me for a drink? Because I'm thirsty. I don't care who you are. I don't care that you're a Samaritan. I don't care that you're a woman. And you're going to find later, he's literally seeking an engagement here. To share like this would be to include in table fellowship. It was an indication of a relational desire. Not perverse in this case. But holy and pure. To know her. She's surprised. But there's also for this woman in the back of her mind something that we would call a moral gap. This lady has a reputation. If you go to verses 16 and 17, you find that the woman, or uh, in verse uh, 13, no, let's try it again, 17, put on the glasses, we got it. You are right when you say, I, you have no husband, Jesus says to her. He knows her prior to her speaking to him. And what does he do? He still moves into her life. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man that you are living with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. It wasn't the whole truth, but it was true. 
Folks, Jesus knew that there was a moral gap between perfection, God in flesh, and this woman. And what did he do? He still sought a relationship with her for her benefit and for her good so that God would be magnified and glorified. Now, who is this woman at this time? She is not just a sinner. She is a clear and active. And here's the, the big two. When I talk to people about the gospel and I share with them that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, I say to people, do you believe you're a sinner? I can almost bank on it. 60 to 70% of the time, people will say to me, well, I've never cheated on my wife and I've never murdered someone. Almost all the time. It's like, boom and boom. It's predictable, floating balloons. I'm not this and I'm not that. Therefore, I'm this. And Jesus kind of shatters that, doesn't he? He says, if you've looked at a woman to lust, you've committed adultery. If you've hated someone, you're guilty of murder. Check, check. This woman is in the category of not someone who has been struggling with her life with relational breakdowns and is really seeking for a break and really wants to find a way out. It's not who she is. She's had five failed relationships. She's moving into another relationship because she can't find satisfaction. Her life is broken. You may say to yourself this morning, why would God record this story? Because in this story, God wanted you to learn something about himself. You know why some people don't come to God? I will never forget one friend that I was sharing the gospel. He said to me, Tim, he said, I just, I can never be good enough. What he really meant was I could never be religious enough. And I said to him, I got good news for you. You don't have to be good. You just have to be willing to admit to God that you're broken. And that's what this woman comes to. I am a sinner. I am a hard-hearted sinner. I am right now... I mean, what is she? She is persisting in it at the moment that she is being sought. Folks, let that sink in. In the heat of her rebellion, in the fury of it, God comes. Totally aware of her circumstance and seeks a relationship with her. That's the God that we serve. Romans 5, 8 says this. It says that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. You know what some people think? They think, you know, what I really need to do is get my act together, and then I can move into a relationship with God and get past all these struggles I have. But I got to get my act together. You can't. And God doesn't want you to get your act together. He wants to put you together. Your life is disintegrating. This is a life that's falling apart. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. If you know someone that's married five times and is shacking up with someone else now, what would you say, honestly, in a world that claims to be non-judgmental? Okay, to give a nod to all that are here. And well, we're not judgmental. How many of you think it's normative to have five marriages and then check up with someone afterwards? Like there's a level at which that offends the person that can't be offended. It's pretty strong. Why her? Because in reaching to this person, what is Jesus saying? All of you, Samaria, all of you can experience my transforming grace. If I can reach to the lowest, I certainly can help you. Folks, let that sink in. He is a God who is seeking, who is graciously relating to this woman. She doesn't deserve an audience with God, but she has a divine appointment with God at the well. For grace is because he is willing to share a cup with her, because one day he on the cross will drink the cup of the wrath of God for her. He is gracious in relating. He is gracious in his offer to this woman. And I, I, I want you to, now the text kind of, there's a move here. Verse 10, after she says, we don't associate, Jesus looks at her. 
And he says to her, okay, true enough. But if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says that ask you for a drink, you would have, mirrors that there was a prompting in your heart as to divine presence, as to God in flesh. If you knew who I was, you would have fallen on your knees and said, give me a drink. But don't give me a drink of water that is stagnant in a well. Give me a drink of water that is lively and bubbling up to eternal life. And I love how he says it. If you knew who I was, you would have asked. And I would have given you living water. So that you would never thirst again. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave it? He dug this well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his flocks and his herds. It, it, it gave life. Are you greater than him? He's the father of the nation of Israel at, at one level. The, the, the father who birthed the 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. He's substantive. He's, 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 a, he's a person who's well known. Are you greater than him? I think of Jesus, first of all, saying in verse 10, if you knew who I was, you would have asked for living water and you would have gotten it. I think at that point he's saying he's better. But, but you have to notice her, her human response. Sir, the woman said you have nothing to draw with. She automatically starts thinking about what? Physical water. And what is Jesus? Jesus is talking at a spiritual level about living water, about something that will truly and wonderfully satisfy Are you greater than Jacob? Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. He will find a satisfaction that he or she has never experienced. And I think the answer Jesus is giving is yes. Yes, I am greater than Jacob. Oh, he has a substantial role in, in, in your genealogy and in the history of the people. Yes. But the water that he gives will leave you thirsty for more. The water that I give, you will never thirst again. And folks, honestly, I'm going to tell you something. As you sit here this morning and as you live your life, you are looking and longing for that panacea. You are looking for that, that experience, that acquisition, that relationship that will finally fill you up and leave you full. And that is found in Christ. It's not found in temporary things. So are you greater than Jacob? Yes. Yes, I am. And so what does he offer? He graciously offers her living water. That he is, in fact, the one who has come to be the savior for this woman. Lastly, I want you to see this simple truth. He is gracious in his revealing and saving. I, as I read this story, it now moves into what we would call the more... Um, difficult aspect of the story. Because in our culture, if you do what Jesus does here, this is when you get the label judgmental, critical. Okay? Holding to things that you believe are true for everyone around you at all times, in all places. So once you notice what happens, the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here. But Jesus is not seeking to meet her physical thirst that will recur the next day. He's seeking to address the deeper issue that relates to her relational life that is an evidence of a broken heart. 
sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming out here to draw water again. I would love to have water that bubbles up in the pot and is there fresh and anew. Jesus said to her, and this is, this is a dramatic shift. It's almost like ADD here spiritually. He says, go call your husband and come back. So, well, and all of a sudden she feels what? A bit of the shame. The truth. And she looks at him and says, I have no husband. And then you think, okay. Do you tell someone the truth or do you fudge? Do you kind of blur the lines of truth? See, I know your life is a little messed up. My life's messed up. Everybody's life is messed up. God loves people that are messed up. It's not the way the Bible deals, folks. The Bible is much more black and white, much more direct, much more incisive and decisive. It's much more analytical about the truth of what's going on in our hearts because Jesus aims to resolve this person's true problem. He's not trying to put a band-aid over her life. He's not trying to cover her shame with a new relationship with Jesus. I met a man today named Jesus, and he likes me. Because what would still be present? The shame and the guilt from her past life would still be there. So what does Jesus do? Like a, a, a decisive surgeon, he wields the scalpel of truth. And wounds this lady so that she can be healed. He allows the gospel to do what it does. It stings one's heart before it causes the heart to sing. It's how the gospel works. And I want you to notice what he says. You are right, you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five. But what I want you to remember is this. Jesus entered into a relationship with this woman. So she is open to hear from him because he did not shun her like everybody else does as a woman. And as a Jew, he did not shun her as a Samaritan. He sought a relationship and he gained an audience with someone in need. He gained an opportunity to tell someone what they needed to hear that they normally wouldn't be willing to hear. Folks, that's God. He will move into your life graciously through divine appointments. Eventually, he'll give you exactly, you need the two by four. Eventually, if God is seeking you, he's going to give you the two by four. He's going to do what it takes to awaken you to your need of your relationship with him. So Jesus says, the fact is, now he goes deeper. You have no husband. That's true. But the fact is that you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. You're living in overt rebellion to my laws as God in flesh. What you have just said is quite true. Now, what is Jesus doing? He said, he's, he's giving a nod to, yes, you're not married now. But the truth is you're living with someone else. And the truth is you've had five husbands. I knew that all along, and I still engaged in a relationship with you. Folks, that is amazing grace. Yeah. I Think about that. God isn't looking for pretty, cleaned-up, moral, religious people. He doesn't, he's not impressed. He's not impressed by self-efforts. He's not impressed, uh, Lauren, with people who think they can handle it on their own. He's impressed with people who come to him and say, give me living water. Be my satisfaction. Be my delight. Be the joy of my life. And the woman says to him, you got to love this. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. (laughs) You, You saw right through me. You saw everything about me. And then she goes into a religious debate, which Jesus ignores. He says, believe me, woman, 
A time is coming when we, you will neither wor worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And he goes right to the truth. He goes right to the truth. That I have come through the Jewish, excuse me, through the Jewish line. I am the Savior of the world that Father has sent. And he is seeking, and I love this. He is seeking true worshipers. Yet a time, verse 23, it says, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And listen to what the next phrase says. They are the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. You know what, woman? When you tell your story, tell it all. And magnify the grace of God. When you tell people that you're a sinner, tell the whole story. You don't have to hide it in shame. Come out of the shadows. What is Jesus doing for this woman? She comes to the well at noon because she's ashamed of her life. Jesus is going to transform her life. You can come anytime. And so this revealing, this opening, it's like with your kids when, when your children are wrestling with something they've been hiding, something they broke. And you finally find out and they're kind of like, oh man, I know this is going to hurt. Or I'm going to be in this when I was little. It was going to hurt, okay? Today, you're just going to get looked at. And I'm not going to like the look that my parents give me. Okay, but there's, there's, but there, when it comes out, there's a sense of relief. There's a sense of, I'm glad it's finally over. My father-in-law, after Hurricane Sandy, he has a house down in Ocean City, New Jersey. He had a house that he was working on, needed the furnace replaced. Had the furnace replaced by a guy that he got to know who demonstrated an interest in my father-in-law's life. So my father-in-law engaged in a relationship with him. Two days later, he sees the guy's name in the newspaper. I get the years right, I think it was 18 years before that he had killed someone and never was discovered. And never was discovered. The guilt, the shame that he felt that was known to no one but God himself and a man named Cy Lever who spoke the words of life to him caused him to say, I need to get this out in the open. And I can't deal with this honestly unless I, it's got to come out. And for this woman, what did Jesus do? He just, he just brought it out. And he, and he considered, there's hope for you. Yeah, I know your whole story. And I, God, in flesh, am seeking a relationship with you graciously. Isn't that beautiful? And he offers to her something that she has never had. A, a, a true, deep satisfaction that will reorient a life that has been disoriented. That will reintegrate a life that has been disintegrating. He aims to restore this woman that comes to the well at noon so no one will see her. And so that she doesn't have to relate to someone. And he stands right in her path saying, I am here seeking you. And I'm not going to let go. I love that kind of grace. Her true issue is a deep thirst that has been amplified by reckless and rebellious behavior. He, God in flesh, aims to bring relief to her today. She's tried religion. She talks about the temple, 19 to 20, but she can't bluff God. Jesus says, you must come in truth. Acknowledge your sin and realize that I, for you, am a savior. Now, here's the question. How do you know if this woman is truly changed? How would you know? And I think the answer is found as the disciples return. Verse 25, the woman is quick getting out her last words. She said, I know that Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll do what you just did. And Jesus looks at her and here's what he says. I am he. Now folks, 
He's right before you. And he's the one that's been seeking you. In spite of all your sin, he wants to offer you hope and forgiveness. You don't have to hide from your sin anymore. He can step out of the shadows. There is a Messiah who has come to die in your place, to take your rebellion, as the video we saw at the beginning said, to stand in your place, to bear the wrath of God that you deserve, and to give you hope and a future. Folks, when that happens, when that happens, you can own your sin before a Savior like that. You don't have to give part of the truth. I'm not married. True. You married five times. And the one you're with now is not your husband. That's the truth. And as that scalpel comes and cuts the heart of this woman, there is healing. He's removing the brokenness and he will bring in place of it his righteousness. And you, so you say to yourself, how do I know if this woman has been changed? Follow what it says. Just then his disciples returned. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? What are you asking her for? They knew there was something divine. Then leaving her water jar. And this is so cool. If I lose a bucket, it's nothing. Right? I mean, if I lose my cell phone, it's almost nothing anymore. <laughs> I like lose stuff all the time. She left this precious water pot. They didn't have five of them. They had a water pot. She left that water pot in the excitement of the moment. She goes running back. Why? Because other people were coming. I don't know. The shame that, that of exposure. I don't know. But here's what I do know. She runs back to town. And said to the people that knew her, could read her like a book. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be to Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Folks, how do you know if someone's changed? They're willing to go back and say, hey, I've been exposed. My sinfulness, the truth of my heart, that I'm a rebel against God. True for every person in here. True for me. And God exposes that and points to the cross as hope. That is the greatest relief and that is the greatest sense of fulfillment that you can ever experience. Verse 39 is beautiful. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So, Lauren, for the story... I've heard your story of coming to Christ. That's how you trusted Christ. Our stories are powerful. When God moves into the life of someone that doesn't deserve it, that person has a story to tell. And they can't take credit for it. They can't say, you know what? I've become religious. I started going to church. I started doing this and that. Everybody's like, oh. What's this woman saying? This woman's saying, I encountered God. And through a friend who embodied the life of God, my heart got exposed and I realized that there was hope for me, a sinner, and there was hope for them. They believed because of the truth that this woman told them. He showed me my sin and he offered me grace and forgiveness. That's how I know that this woman's life is changed. And it, it, this story echoes a very powerful Old Testament text. Isaiah 55. It says, come unto me. All who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Wine and milk without cost. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. So if you today sense that God is calling, here's the way the Old Testament says, if today you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Come and see. 
Come and see what God has done in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He came in flesh. He lived out the gospel. And then he died to make the gospel possible. He showed love and acceptance towards broken rebels like us. And he died to purchase rebels, to redeem, to ransom. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost by giving his life as a ransom, as a freedom price for many. So maybe you've come here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Tim? Look, one thing I know is when the Bible says all sin and fell short of the glory of God, that's me. That's me. I may not be able to relate exactly with the story of the individual in this account, but I see myself in the story. I see my own turn from God. And the hope that she finds, the fullness she finds, the purpose she finds, I want that. I want that. If you sense that God is just in your heart right now, just just exposing your sin and your need of a Savior, if he is amplifying Jesus for you so that you can see God more clearly as a God who graciously seeks relationship with broken sinners to restore them to fullness. And I'm going to encourage you to respond to that call of God in your heart. I'm going to encourage you where you are right now just to say to God quietly in the calmness of your heart, you sense God calling and drawing to respond to him and say, God, I believe. I believe. I, if God, through this woman's story, has allowed you to say, you know what? I'm like her. I'm a, I'll admit that I'm a sinner, but I won't really admit that I'm a sinner. And today God has just said, hey, that's, that sounds like you. That sounds like you. You fudge. You'll admit that you're wrong, but you're not really wrong. He's calling you. And if he's convicting you, here's his call. Jesus says to the people, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. You're laboring to find fullness and happiness. Mohegan Sun is not full of life. It's not. It's full of brokenness. I'm going to get sued for saying that. But Jesus is full of life. Jesus is full of life. And what he offered to this woman was unmerited, wasn't it? Did she deserve an encounter with God himself? No way. And Jesus points out that this encounter you're having with me is undeserved. He wants her to know. He wants her to sense God has come near in holiness and exposed her sinfulness so that she would know there's hope through God in Christ for sinners. And the Old Testament echoes, if you're thirsting, God says, come. If you know you've been longing and drinking at all the wrong fountains and you are craving thirst, come, come drink of it. But it's, you must accept it freely. Jesus takes a religious argument and puts it aside. He doesn't want her to be religious. He wants a relationship. But you think of it in this way. In the Gospels, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 7, I am living water. Why does he say, I am? Why does he say, hey, I give you bread, and I give you water, and I give you light? You know why he doesn't say that? Because Jesus is not looking to give you something. He's looking to invite you into something. And that is a relationship with him. You understand? He doesn't want you to leave here and say, oh, I have, you know, I have life. I'm like really living now. Oh, I get it. That's not what he wants. He wants you to leave here to say, saying, I love Jesus. I love his father. I love his spirit who is bringing up within me rivers of living water. That's what John 7 says. 
Folks, listen, Jesus doesn't want to just satisfy your needs. He longs for and pursues a relationship with you. He is bread, and when you partake, you enter in with him. And he is water, and when you partake of him, you enter into relationship and table fellowship with eternal, holy God who forgives you and changes your life. So I'm not saying, hey, today take a drink. I'm saying today enter into a relationship by participating in Jesus. Water is simply a metaphor. Just a picture. It's a picture of the most natural human longing. And you can't live without, you can't live without water. And Jesus says to her, I'll give you living water. So I beg of you this morning, in God's stead, if you hear his voice, don't shut it off. And you, God may put you on a journey. God may start you on a new journey today. Where you say, you know what? God has started something in my heart this morning. I'm, I'm not ready to cross that line. I don't sense something there yet. But God has started something in this broken heart. He's exposed my relationships that are broken and why. He stopped. I'm starting. I need to understand more about what Christ has done on the cross. I need to get the gospel. Perhaps someone invited you to come and see. You can talk to them and say, hey, can you tell me more about how you came to... Ask Lauren. She'll tell you how she came to trust Christ. Folks, that's our story. She went back to town and she couldn't stop talking about the fact that someone had completely exposed her. And she was good with that. It's like a doctor saying to you, hey, you've got a terminal illness. And you say to him, how mean of you to tell me that? But I have a cure. Folks, for that doctor, you can be grateful. Jesus doesn't expose her and say, hey, by the way, good luck in your religious experience and pursuit. Now, he stops her and invites her into a relationship to partake of him, whom to know is life eternal. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?